Welcome back to Who's Talking. She's sold more than 100 million records and won six Grammy Awards. In the process, she's helped break down racial barriers and raise tens of millions of dollars in the fight against AIDS. And for the last 60 years, she's contributed some of the highlights to the soundtrack of our lives. You've had a few clunkers in recent years. You think? That's not perception. That's reality. I'm feeling stronger than ever now in my life. How would you rate yourself as a chef? Why, I'm not doing that with you, Christopher Wilder. Dion Warwick, welcome. This is an honor for me to get to sit down with you. My pleasure, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. So CNN is airing a documentary about your life and your career. It's going to run on New Year's Day. It's called Dion Warwick, Don't Make Me Over. Yeah. And as I understand it, you were not too keen on the idea of a documentary at the start. Why not? Uh, you know, I felt people know everything they should know about me already enough. And uh, as it turned out, I was talked into writing a book. And uh, well, that happens to, it actually happens to be the genesis of the documentary. So what they didn't get out of the book, they get on the screen. So let's go back, all the way back, 60 years to 1962. Mm-hmm. You're in college. You go to New York to audition to be a backup singer. Uh, for the legendary composer Burt Backrack. And here is a clip from the documentary. These four um, ladies came in. They were pretty awesome. I mean, the way they sounded. You couldn't tell who was the best singer. Something about Dion stood out. She sort of looked like could be a star. Burt approached me and asked if I would be interested in doing more demonstration records of songs that he'd be writing with Hal David, a new songwriting partner. I said, yeah, well, I guess as long as it doesn't interfere with my education, because my mother will kill you. <laughs> and me, too. Dion came in to sing for Hal and myself, and we signed her right away. And they signed her right away. Dion, did you have a clue that what a big moment that was signing with, back then, with Burt Backrack and Hal David? Not one clue. Uh, I wasn't really interested in recording. My mother was very adamant about you will have your education. And like I said, or she would kill you and me. So we have to work out how we're going to work this around. And my daddy decided that he would take the reins, make the arrangements with Scepter Records, which is my first label. Backrack David Warwick became known after the first recording of Don't Make Me Over uh, as a triangle marriage that worked. Uh, I was privy to sing some of the greatest songs ever written, um, but never had a clue that 60 years later I'd be sitting here talking to you about that. Well, a year after you sign, you record a song with David and Backrack, and it becomes your first Top 10 hit. Yeah. Let's listen.
of the joys of preparing this interview was getting to go back through your songbook. Uh-huh. Uh, Backrack said that that, and a bunch of records, but he, that one he said it was he got a sense of your range, that you could go from delicate to big and explosive. Yeah. Well, I think that comes from being able to sing gospel music. You know, there are moments of delicacy and there are moments where you're really giving the word um, and emphasizing that. So um, it just came naturally. It's something God blessed me with being able to do. Well, a year after that, you record a song, which I got to say is one of my all-time favorites of yours and of anybody's, which ends up in the Grammy Hall of Fame. you think when you look back at that girl? Ah, uh, she's sassy. That's what she <laughs> I was thinking that too. You were drop dead gorgeous. Thank you, darling. You I still are, that. but but I gotta say, back in the day, wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, a couple of things from that. Backrock songs are not easy to sing, are no, they? They're not. He he just marched and still does to his own drummer. And if you're going to sing his music uh, and appreciate what he does, then you gotta kinda get in step with him and march with him. It was almost as if he was saying, as, as he's writing this, okay, I'm gonna get it to Deanna and sing this, see if she can do this. Yeah, I'm gonna put you know? her through her paces. Exactly. Well, all right, give me an example. I'm, I'm gonna ask you to sing. Give me an example of a tempo change or something oh. that shows how hard it was. Oh. Anyone who had a heart is one of them. But there's a little song called Promises, Promises. Right. Changes tempo, changes uh, meter, every measure, every. Well, I, I'll start, and then you go. Okay. Promises, promises. I'm on to with promises, promises now. I don't know how I got the word to walk out. You see how the tempo changes? Mm-hmm. That's what it does. So you and I just did a duet. We sure did. <laughs> we'll put that out next week. How about that? I'm going to put that on my resume. Um, <laughs> and the other thing I heard about about Backrack was that he was a perfectionist, oh. and it was always, "Come on, Dion, one more take." Yeah, you know, my very first recording, "Don't Make Me Over," forty-two complete from left-hand corner to the end takes. We of course had the second take was done, <laughs> but he, I don't know what it is with him. He's never satisfied. The tempo, or can you slow it down? Let's, let's speed it up. Let's. You wrote the song, mister. <laughs> you know, if you're satisfied, because I am. Everybody in the room is. And if he said one more take, was there any pushback, or was it? It got to the point after about the 15th take. Yeah, it was. It was like, okay, enough. Enough. Come out and sing it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you became. A crossover star, a crossover from R&B to pop, and a crossover from black audiences to white audiences 
in the documentary, you say that at some points there, you weren't sure where you fit in. I never quite understood what it was or what crossover or bridge the gap meant. Um, it was explained to me. Quincy Jones, in fact, told me what it was, you know, being that there were two sets of music. It was black music and there was white music. And I didn't fit into either. I was kind of the center part of that all. Both sides of the fence enjoyed listening to whatever I had to give them. Um, very proud of being able to satisfy everybody's ears. And I always say, music is music. That's all I to it. I mean, music. I'm sure it was good for your career in the sense that you appealed to a bigger audience, but just personally, was it hard that you weren't firmly? No, not at all. I was just being me. And I like me. I don't want to be anybody else. Well, when you went out on the road, America in the yeah. 60s told you where you fit in. And in the documentary, you tell a great story about another wonderful singer, Sam Cooke. Yes. Shows were completely sold out every night. It was one side which was white, where they were seated. And the other side was a ballroom type setting where everybody was standing. And I remember Sam saying, Dion, do not turn your back on the white folk. When I went out there, I walked straight to the band and turned my back and played the ones that looked like me. Yep, sure did. You saw race issues firsthand when you were touring on the road, didn't I you? I sure did, you know. And I still, to this very day, feel exactly the same way. It's so asinine. It's stupid. And it's a word that I feel is probably the ugliest word anyone can be called or said to, stupid, because that's what that is. But you tell a story where you got into a tussle down south <laughs> with a waitress. Yeah, went into a place called the Toddle House. Sam was buying lunch for everyone. Sam Cook. Sam, yes. And we were on, on his, his tour bus. We were designated to go in and get the sandwiches and coffee, da 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 da. So we went into this Toddle House. And I went to sit down. <laughs> and I was told, you can't sit there. So I got up and I said, well, can we order? She said, you go over there and stand there until I get to you. And we're standing here and standing and standing. And I finally said, can, uh, can we get our food? You'll wait until I get ready to give it to you. I said, you know what you can do, miss? You can take everything I ordered and shove it up. Mm -hmm. And I said, it. <laughs> and we walked out. Well, we got back on the bus and <laughs> said, where's food? I said, it's up that woman's bar. <laughs> 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 so I told her, shove it. He said, what happened? And I, and I explained to him what happened. And like less than two minutes after telling him the story, police officers walked onto the bus. We want to know who the gal was that was insubordinate to the waitress inside. And Sam said, we don't have gals on this bus. We have ladies and gentlemen on this bus. This bus happens to belong to me. And I'm going to ask you politely if you wouldn't mind getting off of it. 
So, Dan, I have to ask you a question. I mean, it's a great story, but in that moment, mm-hmm. and when you were dealing with Wedgley, were you scared? No. Why should I be scared? I, I, I've never experienced anything like that before. And she had no right to be stupid. And I wasn't going to... I know, but at that time, there were a lot of people who yeah, were stupid. Yeah, no, well, I didn't know that. I'm from East Orange. In 1968, you record another song for Backrack and David, and in the process, you win your first Grammy. So I heard a story. It's all true. <laughs> that when you heard that song, you hated it, and you didn't want to record it. No, I did not want to record that song. In fact, I accused Hal David of not writing that song. And he looked at me like I had three heads. He said, of course I wrote that song. I said, Hal, the songs you've written for me to sing, the words you've given to me to sing, are you going to write a song with, whoa, 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 whoa? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Did you really write that song? He said, yeah. I said, well, okay, for you, I will record it. And I just cried all the way to the bank. <laughs> and and I took an, a Grammy with you. Yes, I did. All right, there's another song from that era I want to play for one reason, because it's just so great. You say that song had special resonance because it came out right at the height of the Vietnam yes, War. Yes, it did. I believe Hal wrote that song for that reason. Letting um, those babies, because that's what they were, young, 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 young men and women who were over there defending and keeping us alive here, letting them know how much we loved and missed them and cared about them. and. Come on home. We're going to pray for you hard. I mean, the song says it all. Say a little prayer. That's what it did. In 1985, you, and you had a kind of a good backup group, Elton John, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder. You record a song and you donate all the proceeds to AIDS research. Yes. Keep smiling. You know, literally, this was billed as Dionne Warwick and Friends. Friends, I know. I don't understand that. 
How can you? Well, you were and, the lead there. Well, they are my friends. Well, I understand they, that, but usually but they I get mean, billing. They, 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 yes, friends. Anyway, why did you take that cause on? You know, we were losing so many people within our industry, especially mine. The music industry was being decimated. We had producers, songwriters, dancers, cameramen, light people, hairdressers, makeup people. I had to find out what was going on with all these undefined reasons for death within our industry. And I started doing a little investigating and I found out who to call. And that was Dr. Fauci at CDC. Really? Dr. Yeah. Fauci? I called all the way back Tony, then. And I said, uh, hi, I'm Dion Warwick and I need some information. And he said, okay. And we started talking about this situation. But there were things that were being done outside of the United States, and they were getting results. So I got on a plane and went to Sweden. So I got to the point I was coming into the customs. Guys got to know me by first name, and I got to know them too. Hey, Dion, what's up? We bring it in this time. You got some more perfume? I said, no, I got some drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not what? the first time they heard that yeah. either. What? Yes, it's for AIDS. They, they didn't even want to say the word. They didn't want to hear anything. Go. It, it literally rushed me through. Any idea how much money that song, yeah. that's what friends are for, how much money that has raised over the years? Oh, my God. I couldn't even begin. The very first check that they got, I believe, was three or four million dollars. The very first oh, check. Gone into the tens, if not hundreds of yeah, millions of dollars now. since then. Yeah. In the 90s, you became the host of the Psychic Friends Network. Mm -hmm. So many people have called Psychic Friends. Mm -hmm. Why is it so popular? Well, I suppose because we do have the best psychics in the entire world. Why sit there wondering about tomorrow when the answers you need are just a phone call away? All you need is a telephone and an open mind. You acknowledge that that turned off a lot of people, including, you say, members of your own church. Why'd you do it? Uh, recordings were not doing anything at all. Um, I had two children that I had to feed, clothe, house. It was a way to earn a living, and it was fun. It was a bunch of fun. Well, this show took off like gangbusters. We were the very first to do it. Everybody was, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? I'm earning a living. My grandfather, God bless him, because he certainly blessed me. He said, Dion, you are earning a, a, an honest, living. You know you're not a psychic. You know you believe in God. Let them talk. They're trash. You take care of your business. Then there is your campaign against, which I must say I didn't know. I, I guess I missed this, against gangster rap. Yeah. And here you are testifying before That's Congress. That's right. In short, I'm tired and I've had enough. When will responsibility be demanded 
to deny the glorification and promotion of violence with guns, knives, the use of drugs, denigration and defamation of women, and now the explicit pornographic artwork accompanying these recordings. At one point, you invited the folks from Death Row Records, including Snoop Dogg, over to your home. Sure did. To hash this out. 7 a.m. in the morning. Not a minute before, not a minute after. Ring that doorbell. You have me as a part of the problem. Make me a part of the solution. So did it work out at all? They all showed up. And yeah, it did work. I think what it was was they needed to hear me because they said, oh, you dissing, dissing. I said, I'm doing what? Dissing us. What, what does that mean, dissing? Disrespecting, I said, well, say that. <laughs> I can just see you know, the folks at Death Row Records, like, but you're Dion Warwick, so they uh, probably listen. You know, not only that, but you know, it's like, well, we're from the hood. I said, you don't know what the hood is. You have been in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> that's the hood. And that's where I'm from. Oh. Well, you, then, you, then you must be a gangster, too. I said, you, you, you never know <laughs> what I am. But like I told them, I said, you know, you guys are all going to grow up. You're going to have families. You're going to have children. You're going to have little girls. And one day that little girl's going to look at you and say, Daddy, did you really say that? Is that really you? What are you going to say? I think it, it got through to them. I can just see with that face and ears and those big eyes yeah. that they kind of go, whoa, that's... Uh... <laughs> exactly, you know, just come... That's what we need right this minute. We need conversation. We do. Nobody's talking to each other. It seems like nobody really wants to know how to solve these problems. Can't solve it without talking. You also say in the documentary that in 2013, you filed for bankruptcy mm -hmm. and you owed something like $10 million. Six. $6 million in taxes. Yes. I stand corrected. So here's the question. You're Dionne Warwick. Yeah. You've had all these hits. Mm -hmm. How on earth do you end up in that situation? I had a crooked <laughs> bookkeeper. You know, my accountant put me in a trick bag. You know, it was a case of, I never really, which is stupid. <laughs> I will say that. On you? Yeah, not to keep track of. My checks would go to the office. I got a salary, and the rest of it was supposed to be in the bank. I found a new car every year, and a house for her, and one thing after another after another, and was not filing my taxes. So 50 years into your career, you find this out. What did you think? I mean, you've made all this money, you've, you've done it, played it right, yeah. and you're broke. I didn't like it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm Got out there doing what I do. I think I'm just laid everything in the hands of people that I trusted. 
I think that was the biggest mistake I ever made. Trusting without keeping finger on the pulse of things. But you don't learn that. You don't learn that until way, 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 way later. And then I found out too, as time progressed, race has a lot to do with a lot of things. It appears that folk that look like me are never taught invest in this, save that, know what this means, get an attorney that really, really can guide you and teach you. Never taught that, ever. So how are you today? Personally, professionally, financially, how are you? I am wonderful. I really am. Um, the IRS finally decided well, maybe it was my fault, you know? I have a payment program that I'm practically finished with. Um, I'm living very comfortably. Are, uh, are you still recording? Absolutely. You know, you, you, you learn by mistakes. And I have learned, trust me. You know, it's a case of you can't trust everybody. You have to do a little bit of due diligence on everybody. So at the end of this conversation, and I know the answer, but I want to know if you know the answer. Okay. Do you think that your life, just maybe, is worth a documentary? No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Dion, thank you. My pleasure. This has been a joy. Thank you very much. As we mentioned at the top, you can see much more about this extraordinary life and career in a new CNN documentary, Dion Warwick, Don't Make Me Over. It airs New Year's Day at 9 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for watching. Catch us every Sunday night on CNN and keep streaming anytime you want right here on HBO Max to find out who's talking next.